Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and a parent of two young adults, one of which is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello and welcome. Uh, hi, Lily. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really happy that we were able to connect and find this time uh, to chat a bit. And uh, I know we we met on Instagram, <laughs> and um, I really loved your Instagram. Um, and it's at Sadie underscore Pink because you have a lovely uh, dog. That I'm a big dog fan. So uh, and. I was really just um, taken by your sharing on there and um, how open you were about talking about your experience. So I really wanted to be able to bring you in to share with our audience um, a little bit about who you are and what your experiences have been. So uh, could you give our audience a little bit of background about yourself? I'm sure. Thank you. Okay, so... I'm, my name's Lily and I'm from London. I've lived here my whole life and I'm 19 years old. And a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with high-functioning autism at 17 and it really changed my life. I, I know it sounds cheesy, but it really did. And because I've gone through my whole life with really bad anxiety, a few OCD tendencies and just like, I don't know, struggling altogether. So having a diagnosis really impacted me. And it's also made me really passionate about psychology and the human brain. So I actually hope to become a psychologist one day and use all of these experiences and put it towards studying, I guess. Yeah, that's 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 great. And and when you say that the diagnosis has changed your life and and I know you said it sounds cheesy, but it really doesn't to me because I've heard that before um from other uh, other adults. So and and I I find your openness um so so enriching. Like I really love that. Uh so how in some in what ways has uh knowing or getting this diagnosis a couple of years ago changed uh, changed your life for you? So it just changed what I was looking for when I was seeking help. Um, as they, there's, I always view there's two sides of me. There's the person I was at school and there was the person I was at home. And it was just very conflicting. Um, and even with therapy, I've been to, I don't know, um, about nine therapists and a lot of them just didn't know what they're looking for they're like we don't know what's wrong with her like she doesn't have black and white depression black and white anxiety or OCD there's lots of different characteristics there so I've had tons of diagnoses thrown at me and they just haven't helped but since the diagnosis I know I need a specialist who specializes with girls on the spectrum as otherwise we're just walking around in circles wasting money and we just don't know what we're doing 
So it really helps. And it also just helps me calm down when I approach a social situation or an unknown situation. I can take a step back and be like, I'm going to be anxious. And it's okay because I have autism and other people won't understand what it's like. And it's just giving me room to be kinder to myself because before a diagnosis, when I would go out with friends, I would view myself as a neurotypical like them. And it was very confusing for me why they could be enjoying it and having fun, whereas me, I'd be having heart palpitations, my hands would be sweaty, I'd be dizzy, I'd be shaky. And then I'd come home and just have a complete meltdown. I would think, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? And then I got the diagnosis and I was like, that's why I'm like this. And it just completely turned my life around. And it made me kinder to myself because now I have, I'm just empathetic towards myself. I'm not as hard as myself and I don't compare myself. And even the way I view other people, it's changed. For example, I'm less judgmental of others. And if they can't do something, which I can do, I don't, I don't judge them. I'm like, maybe they have something else going on, which previously before my diagnosis, I wouldn't think like that. So not everyone's the same, even if everyone looks the same. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, I love how you say that you can be more compassionate with yourself because I think, uh, you know, working with a lot of young adults, particularly and teenagers, uh, it's, it can be, it's a hard time anyway, right? Like you have a lot happening and then to have an added layer of, you know, frustration on there, I think is, uh, it's, it's just can compound how you're already feeling. But, uh, this idea of being compassionate, for yourself, I think is really awesome. And I think we could all learn to be better at that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, um, the other thing you mentioned is, um, you know, I know, and I know I've seen some of your posts about being more aware now that when you're, you know, like you said, hanging out with friends or, you know, in a particular social situation, now you can at least prep for that, right? Whereas before it seems like you may not have understood what was happening in that moment. Yeah. And I, yeah, go ahead. And it's like a meltdown, as you know, it's like when you lose control of reality, it's like when you're so overwhelmed, you just have a meltdown. And since my diagnosis, they've kind of become less frequent because because I've I've been aware, so I've been masking less. And whilst when I first got my diagnosis, I wouldn't tell anyone. And I was almost ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated that I had this huge label on me. And I thought it was very much a burden and something to be ashamed of. Um, and so that came with troubles, but now I've researched it more. And I realised that it's nothing wrong. It's like, it's just that it doesn't mean anything. And the actual word autism, there's no two autistic people are the same. So it it's kind of something to be proud of in a way that I overcome so many struggles. I, I don't, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And so what uh, I, and I've heard often, especially with with girls or females, I really don't think it's just that. I think there's a lot of people who go through a lot of different therapists and a lot of different evaluations and a lot of different diagnoses before, you know, coming to, oh, wait, this is something we 
hadn't thought of. Uh, and so maybe this is, this makes more sense. What led you to getting, um, a diagnosis finally, the one that makes okay, sense so for you? I've been, so a lot of people ask me this question, but I've always gone to a mainstream school with other people. And in primary school, I was very, I don't like to use the word normal, but I was normal in school. No one would notice anything was wrong with me. I was quite on the shy side, but I'm a girl. That was cute. It's fine. So I was a shy little girl just going to school. And then I'd come home and I'd have a huge meltdown because I was so exhausted. And whilst lots of other parents in the playground would say the night before they couldn't get their kids to bed because their kids were so hyper, my mum didn't have that issue. I was always in bed at 6pm because I was just exhausted because of masking the whole day. So I like in school, I was very normal, like a very good child externally, but in at home, I was very, I wasn't naughty. I just, I would scream and cry a lot. And that wasn't me being naughty. It was just me relieving all the built up tension that I was faking in school, you could say. So there was nothing outwardly wrong with me. I don't like to use the word wrong, but I, I don't know what else to use until I was in year 11 when I was 15 and I suddenly got really physically ill. Like I, I had a temperature, I had a rash and I, I, had, I just wasn't well. And I missed a couple of months of school, but all my blood tests were fine and no one really knew what was going on. And only when I was physically ill did the teachers pay attention to me and was like, hold on, what's going on? Like, why are you so ill if the blood tests are fine? And it was very confusing. And and I kind of was in a weird sort of way relieved I was ill because I was getting attention I needed. I was like, teachers are paying attention to me um, because I don't know how to express what's going on internally that I really need help. And um, I got more attention, which I liked, and I had exams and they were okay. I, di I did well um, academically, even though no one understood why I just wasn't turning up to school and what was going on. And then this summer I went on a camp and I was with really good friends I've been with since I was 11 years old. And they all thought I was, as I use the word with like, like brackets, normal, because I never spoke to them about stuff that went on at home or how unwell I was. So they were just excited to go on a camp with another one of their friends. But it was a three-week camp. And during the camp, on the second day, I found myself not being able to get out of bed because why I saw the other 15 and 16 year olds were jumping up and down, excited, wanting to do all those teenage things. I was like, no, I'm staying in bed. I'm not moving. I'm overwhelmed. And like camp counselors were calling up my parents saying, we never had a kid like her before. You've not disclosed anything wrong with her. Like what's going on? And my parents' reaction was actually relief because they're like finally someone else is noticing the things that we've been saying all along she, she's fine out out at home but in home she's like bursting and crying and only when I was with other people my age did I realize that I wasn't acting in a normal way no other child was overcome with fear at the idea of going on a coach to the beach or going to the going to a, do an activity with so many unknowns no one else was like that so it really opened my eyes for me. And when I got back from the camp, I was emotionally drained. And I was really actually upset that I was so different from my friends. And then I got referred to a psychologist who um, did a bunch of assessments and found out that I had autism. So it was only when I started 
It was only when I started like acting out away from home that people realized how different I was. For example, when I was on the camp, I, I found out I suddenly forgot how to eat and breathe. Like I didn't know how to swallow and I couldn't breathe. And physically I was fine. I just couldn't do those things. And it was really difficult. And in a way it was pure relief that I didn't have to act so externally and it was all coming out because when I went home, I was like just carrying on how I normally was. And then I got the diagnosis and I was like, I just felt so relieved. I mean, I've heard that so many times and I think it gives people a frame of reference. Um, I know one of the things that I talk about when I work with parents and educators is building self-awareness. And I think part of self-awareness is knowing the diagnosis. And And I'm not one to say, let's get caught up in the diagnosis, but I think um, the diagnosis is really helpful in being able to become self-aware and learn more about yourself and right we're all always changing and you know evolving and developing uh, but now I think when you know you have that extra bit of information where you can say oh right I maybe this might be something that's sensory or maybe this is something that's emotional regulation or perhaps this is something about theory of mind and I find it really interesting Th- thank goodness for that the counselors right who called home and were concerned 100%. with you and, and weren't just frustrated. It made such right? a difference because in like I'm on my gap year and part of my gap year activities, I went away on a similar sort of camp, like much longer and for older kids because, uh, yeah. And it just made a huge difference because I sat down before I went on the camp and I was like, I've got a decision to make. I can either repeat the experience I had when I was 15 or 16 and just completely freak out, meltdown and not be mentally or physically healthy, or I could actually open up to my friends and say to them, I have autism and that means that I'm not as normal as I come across. I really, really do struggle in certain situations. Um, So I actually told them I had autism and and that meant that when I did this camp, they were so much more understanding and I was so much more healthier. I had a really great time. So like before we went out, I would say to them, I'm fine, but I'm scared because we're going to a busy place where there's going to be lots of noise and I've never been here before. I'm scared. So please just be sympathetic towards me and understand I'm my brain takes in more information than you and I overanalyze things more than you. And because I told them that and they expected me to, in a way, freak out, I didn't freak out. I was completely fine and I really enjoyed these experiences because I knew that if I did freak out, it wouldn't be labeled as weird and different. It would be labeled as I'm expressing my condition of autism. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, really how, uh, imp- like, I really think that your friends um, were super supportive and it's it's wonderful that you have a network of supportive friends like that um, and that they were able to help you enjoy your time, right? And I think that that's, that's really important. And um, I also, you know, I, I think your courage in being able to share that 
is super important as well and that you can trust them, that you trusted them with that yeah, information. It was an amazing experience and I'm lucky to have friends that I can tell and they just accept it. And even recently a friend said to me, like, just because you have autism and you tell a few people what that means, it doesn't mean we know what it means. All we know is you have a diagnosis. We don't know how it affects you. And everyone is different. Like just because there might be someone else who has the exact same diagnosis as me doesn't mean we have the same struggles. It's it's the same diagnosis, but no two people on the spectrum are the same. And I've got some very supportive friends, but equally some people automatically know think they know what autism is and when I come across those people it's really difficult for me for example I had to sacrifice going on holiday with a few friends because they thought they knew what autism was and they might have known what autism was to someone else but they didn't know what it was for me so when I told them I won't be able to ride a train with them they're like why that's weird and I got really upset actually cancelled going on holiday with them because if I feel judged or not supported, then obviously I'm going to be more anxious and have more meltdowns and that will cause more difficult situations. So not everyone was super understanding, but that was rare. Yeah. And I think it's important to be able to share that information with people. And it is unfortunate that sometimes people won't understand and that they uh, have like a you know, just a, a blanket or general idea of what they think autism is. And, you know, it is very individual to each particular person. And um, yes, you know, unfortunately, and I, I talked about this recently, it, it might fall on you, right, to kind of teach people what it is that you need. But that's also part of the self-advocacy piece and educating others on, you know, what what it is that you need uh, and also just education around autism in general, I think. But that can sometimes be difficult. So only recently have I been brave enough because I do think it is brave to realize that you need help. Like, so, like, it's so it's so Absolutely. easy, especially during like quarantine periods, just to go by each day and be like, okay, so today's one day, I've done it, I can do another day. But you're not really achieving anything, you're just sailing along. But recently, I've been like, I've got a lot of stuff inside me that I need help and support with, especially as I'm about to start university and step out more into the adult world. It's very scary. So I've been trying to reach out for help and I've signed up for some like support things to try reach help but what's difficult is they say how do you need help and I always find myself having to explain to them what autism is because whilst it's such a widely known condition I feel like often people don't know how it affects high functioning girls and I have to explain to them what it is and even when I explain to them they're often still in the nicest possible way clueless they just don't you just don't understand that I'm, I can walk outside in public without wearing noise-blocking earphones and I don't need to wear sunglasses because the light's too bright. But that doesn't mean... And I can occasionally go supermarket shopping and be very fine. But that doesn't mean sometimes I can be in the exact same situation and find it unbearable. And, and just because I don't have clinical diagnosed depression, that doesn't mean that sometimes I have... Depress, depress, depressing moments and 
And just because I don't have OCD doesn't mean I have OCD character traits and same with anxiety. I have to explain it to them and it's often so complicated for them to understand because it, there's so many different conditions that I don't have, but I have parts of them and people just don't understand how to help. Right. And I think it does leave people sometimes feeling a little helpless. I know as a parent, um, I, I can feel helpless. And even as an educator, sometimes I feel helpless and I do seek to learn more. And, you know, again, that's how, I mean, I came across your Instagram and, and you mentioned before about feeling like you had a lot of things inside of you. And I'm I'm making that connection with your Instagram because you do share a lot on there. Can you give me a little bit or give our audience a little bit more about the catalyst for starting the Instagram? Because I know I know this quarantine time is weird and we all feel a little stuck. Um, but you've actually been doing a lot on there and yeah. sharing a lot so there. So I find it much easier to express how I feel through writing. And part of having autism ASD means I really struggle to sometimes verbalize what I'm what I'm feeling. So when I found a psychologist that specialized in girls on the spectrum, I would sit in the session and just witter on about absolute nonsense. And she once suggested to me, why don't I email to her what I'm feeling? And then in the session we can go on from there. And that like just exploded. It was amazing. I would email her like four pages and she would talk about it and said that I expressed myself so clear. And, and that really helps me because often I didn't know all of that stuff was inside me until I wrote. And once I started writing, I would often email my like, psychologist, therapist, pages and pages. And it just completely transformed our sessions where previously we'll just be sitting there and I would feel useless because, because I would just be, um, talking about stuff that didn't actually bother me but here I had an actual catalyst to talk about things that were real and were troubling and it really helped me and my therapist um, was actually amazed with how well I expressed myself through writing and said that she's never seen anyone as articulate through writing as me and that was a huge compliment obviously and I felt really flattered and then in the summer holiday I was really bored and I have a gorgeous dog, Sadie, as you know. And um, I am, um, thank you. And I was in the garden and my mum suggested maybe starting an Instagram account for Sadie because a few of my friends had dogs with Instagram accounts. And I originally thought it was cheesy and like pointless. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. Then I was like, hold on, I will, because I've got nothing else to do and all my close friends will follow it. And it'll just be fun and I'll kind of mimic people on on Instagram who post about, I don't know, the type of people who post about what they eat and all that type of stuff. And I thought I'll make one exactly like that, but through a dog. So I did that and I had a lot of fun with it. I just enjoyed it. And then I would say a couple of weeks later, I started feeling a bit low and I was struggling and I emailed my psychologist, as I normally did, but I didn't have any sessions booked for a while then. So I was like, what do I do? And my mom suggested as I have an Instagram account and it was very anonymous, apart from a few people who know who I am, why don't I write what I'm feeling? So I wrote and I felt amazing. Right? I just wrote on Instagram and I don't know why it helped me so much to write on Instagram, but I really enjoyed it. And 
then I was like, I might as well try to get more followers. So I started trying to get more followers and I got, and I started writing more and more about Instagram. And I found that being anonymous through my dog really helped me express how I felt. And it, and the fact that people were responding and private messaging me and commenting on my posts um, really felt good. And it, I don't know, I just felt like I was doing so well. And I felt like I had a safe platform to um, to express what was going on internally. And a few of my friends that were following me would say to me, we didn't actually know that this was all going on internally because externally you put on such a good mask. And we didn't have any idea that it was this deep and you really struggle internally. And I was like, I started reflecting. I was like, I really do. And I don't have to act as much. And maybe if I, and I don't know, it just helps me so much come to terms with my brain. Yeah, I think that it's a, it seems like it's a very good outlet. I know um, it's interesting, like I, I've said before, my therapist also has asked me to write things down and, you know, over the course we meet weekly. And I think it does just the act of writing it down. Sometimes I actually do voice to text because it's easier. My, my fingers won't move as fast as my brain does. Uh, and I'm able to just kind of get it out. And I think that's a very therapeutic process just by itself. And um, I think it's, again, like you had said earlier, it's very brave to share what your experience is. And it's very, um, it's great that your friends that do know um, are getting to, uh, to learn more about you and get an understanding what the internal experience is like, because it's very hard for people to understand that. And as you know, as you say, you had said earlier also, and I've heard this a bunch, is that you know, on the outside, uh, everything seems, you know, the same as everybody else, right? Like, I just, I look like all my typical peers. And why is it that my internal experience feels so different to me than it, it appears for them too? And so I think it's really important to be able to share that. Because I do feel really different from my friends. It's like we're all 18, we're all go 19, we're all going to university next year. We've all just had a gap year. We're all kind of at the stage of life where we've finished school and we're entering adulthood. We're all exactly the same. And we all have like, I don't know, we're all like similar. And, but then I don't know what it is. I just feel so different from them. And and what would annoy me sometimes is would be when they would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so different. Not me, like when they say it about themselves. And I'll be like, and I would think, okay, fine. I'm not the only one that feels so different. And it would just help me in a weird sort of way. But when I was write, I'd, they would message me saying, we had no idea. And occasionally I'd write and they would message me saying, are you okay? And previously I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. And I thought to myself, why lie? Why can't I just say, no, I'm not okay. I don't understand why. So yeah, it really helps. Yeah, that's, that's great. And um, so you mentioned you're going to, um, to university. Is that in the fall? Um, yes. So I hope to start in September. Excellent. Yeah. And so what uh, I think you mentioned you were planning on studying psychology. Is that the plan? Yeah, that is the plan. Excellent. What else What else are you interested in um, pursuing when you go to school? So I'm really interested in 
I know my experience at school was very was very like all the children that had difficult family circumstances or showed outward naughty behavior would get all the attention for example I kind of used to in a weird sort of way be jealous of the kids that could scream in a classroom and run out crying and slam a door because I thought that was such a healthy expression of what was going on internally and they would get all the attention and they would have hours of teacher meetings and I would kind of be jealous in a weird sort of way that they were getting the attention that I so desperately wanted and I did deliberate showing that type of behavior but to be honest I didn't know how to I was just too shy to slam a door and to cry and to tell a teacher that I'm angry and and I, I can't cope I was always too shy for that sort of behavior and um, and I that kind of resulted in me being neglected in school because I was shy, I was good, I got on with my schoolwork, I didn't talk, I didn't disrupt, I just did what I was supposed to do. So I felt a bit neglected and deprived of attention and whether it was bad that I wanted attention, I feel like that itself says something else, that I needed the attention because I was dealing with autism and masking and no one knew. So I did need the attention, but obviously I didn't know why. And so I'm actually really passionate with learning psychology so that hopefully that one day all kids out there, whether they've got a diagnosis or not, can get the attention they feel that they need. And you don't need to slam a door or you don't need to scream or act out in school. I I know it will be difficult, but I really want every single child to have the opportunity to speak about what's going on. Because I feel that if I had that opportunity, my whole high school experience would be so different. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's not an accident. I think that we connected because that has been something I've been very passionate about since I started my teaching career. And that was even before I knew that my son um, was on the autism spectrum and that my daughter also had different educational needs and, and they're very different. And, you know, I couldn't understand why the schools weren't able to you know, see what I was seeing and why each child needed their own type of, you know, education. And uh, it is something that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing and uh, talking to people like you, because I think people need to hear that message. And um, so are you what are your are you going away? Will you be staying home in the fall? Um, So with coronavirus, we just don't know. Like, I do hope to go away. Oh, studying. Do you mean studying? I do. Yeah, no, when, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm going to stay at London for university because, like, like I just want to minimise the amount of changes that I have to experience because I just feel like my brain will have to process going to university. I don't want to have to process a new essentially home for the year so I'm going to minimize the changes which is another reason why the diagnosis has benefited me because I know what to look out for and like you said with school um, a lot of the teachers don't actually know the signs of autism like they know the very classic signs of no speech sensory overloads but they don't know the subtle signs like the I suppose crippling shyness and being um and and with me, I always maintained eye contact and I always had friends. Like I wasn't super popular, but I also didn't have lunch by myself. I always had someone to sit next to and I had a good group of friends and I maintained eye contact and I I wasn't a genius either. Like I was, I would say like average to above average. I 
So the teachers didn't know what to look out for in a girl with high-functioning autism. So I do think that's something they should be trained to because it's a bit more deeper than sensory overloads and not maintaining eye contact and emotional outbursts. So there's other stuff going on that you have to be a trained professional to notice. Right, right. And so um, I think it, I, I think that's a great plan to um, be able to minimize a lot of change since, you know, just, just the act of changing schools uh, and having a different, right, like a different way of structure of the day um, is, is going to be its own thing. So um, I commend you in being aware and knowing what, you know, what will work for you. And I really think your bravery in trying different things and putting yourself out there is really commendable. So I, I thank you for sharing that. Thank you. No, I think it's super important just to be aware of your triggers. Like, I can be upset that I can't push myself like some other people can and experience new things, but I can also be proud of myself that I am where I am and I essentially have more going on in my brain uh, with information-wise. And the fact that I'm even willing to push myself is also good, But and I hope one day to push myself further. Right. And I think that's what it is. It's, um, I had heard someone say, if, if someone says no, it, it's maybe that it's really just no for now, right? It could be that in the future, it might be something that you're, you, you know, one can push themselves towards so that, but right, maybe you have to build other skills in order to get there. And uh, it sounds like that's what you've been doing. So I think that's great. That's why I love the word yet, because when you say I'm not ready, you always have to put on the word yet. Like, I'm not ready yet. Just because I'm not ready today doesn't mean I won't be tomorrow. And one day, and I know that I feel like in life, there's a certain ladder that everyone has to follow. For example, at age three, you go to nursery, you finish school at 18, you go to university for a couple of years, and then hopefully you're married by, I don't know, 25, 30, and you have kids and you have a job you retire like there's a ladder and it's all very boring but I, I do sort of feel most people feel a sort of pressure to oblige by that and they also need to experience the teenage parties but if you're not neurotypical and you don't work like that it can be scary so you kind of need to remove the pressure and the ladder of ex- expectations and be like just because you're ready doesn't mean I'm not I'm I'm ready but hopefully one day I will be And it's, yeah, sorry. No, no. And I think it's different for each person in general, right? So we need to think about um, those are what maybe society's expectations are, but um, it doesn't mean that it has to be. And it it doesn't mean that that's what works for everybody. So that, again, that just goes right back to being aware and knowing um, who you are and what it is that you want right now. And again, that can always change, right? A hundred percent. And it's just important. It's so difficult though, not to compare yourself to others because it's, excuse me, but it's so difficult. And I'm, I'm really trying to, but it's difficult being 19 as well, where all my friends are achieving certain things that I want to achieve. For example, looking out for a job or, I don't know. And it's just difficult because I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm still trying to just like practice going to university and signing all the forms required. That overwhelms me. And to my friends, they don't even put that on the to-do list because it's irrelevant. But to me, it's huge. 
Right, right. And I think it's really great that, um, you know, you telling that because I think, you know, a lot of we can all tend to compare ourselves to our peers and to other people. But I think it's important to know what it is that you can do and what it is that works for you day to day and that your to-do list, right, looks different than maybe someone else's, but it's still work. And it's still um, that that you're putting it on the to-do list and that you know the things that you need to do for yourself. I think that's really important. Very true. It's like most people on their to-do list won't be to sign or fill out a form. But for me, that will take up two things because I will need to print out the form. And that's already stressful. I don't know why. And some things I can't explain why I find stressful. Um I guess it's very difficult to explain to someone who doesn't find it stressful why it is. Like to a, to a confident person, why I can't speak in class is difficult. But it's just about accepting others that my challenge isn't your challenge. And I find it stressful to fill in the form. And I find it stressful to put my hands up in class. And I can't explain why. And there's no chemical imbalance in my brain. Um, but it is stressful. Right. Right. And, and again, I I would say, you know, you mentioned the word competent, but I think you're very competent. And I think it's just how you go about um, approaching what you need to get done is just different than other people. And everybody has different things to get done. So um, I, I, I would say as we kind of close this up, I think the challenge for people is to really think about being honest with themselves on what it is they want and what it is they are able to do in a period of time and really, you know, not try to do so much that's not within their scope because you're just setting yourself up for failure, I think, in many ways. So true. And it's just about being kind to yourself and taking day at a time and trying to find help. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to, to kind of summarize. It's definitely about being kind to yourself and, you know, back to that compassion piece that you mentioned earlier. So, um, I think that's an, you know, that's an excellent message. So if you could, uh, I always like to end with one question, which is if we hadn't talked about it already, um, but what is like your favorite strategy that you use regularly that you like to um kind of your go-to thing okay that's a difficult question because so many different different situations but i okay so i love writing but i also find it like this concept beautiful that if i'm on a train which i hate or if i'm like sleeping out for example in the camp or in an exam i always like this idea that i can close my eyes and just i can be anywhere in the world like I can be on the ocean and just feel the waves rocking me and just remind myself that like I'm closing my eyes and I'm not here right now and I can take a break and also the moment will pass because no matter what you can't stop time you really can't and you might be in a really difficult moment right now and it might be horrible but you can always close your eyes and just give yourself a break and that's something amazing with, in a way, having autism, that there's laws to be able to help people. Like, close your eyes and give yourself a break. And people can't yell at you for taking the time you need. And at the end of the day, time will tick. Like, the 60 seconds will pass and it will eventually pass. I don't know how long it will take, but it will eventually pass. And in the meantime, look out for angels because that 
kind people do exist. Like even someone who can ask if you're okay, that they, they do exist, and it's very different. Mean people also exist, but kind people are there. Yes. Right, right. I totally agree with you. So thank you so much for that. And um, I, I, I think this was really inspiring for me. And I think uh, those listening will feel the same way. And so I really appreciate you taking the time today uh, to chat with me and to share uh, who you are and your experience um, for everyone. And again, uh, everyone, you can find uh, Lily's uh, Instagram feed. It's at Sadie, S-A-D-I-E underscore pink, P-I-N-K. And um, you can also check it out in the notes for this podcast. So thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to chat with you again. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, you can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.